Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, good morning. It's Sunday, it's game day, and it's hardline. Your political pregame for the more important Bills game. I like that. I think that's how we're going to call it from now on. Week three, the hardline, it's only five weeks from the election. And you know we have five weeks of packed shows to get you ready for what's going to be an intense election day, election week, election few months, Brenda, who knows? You know, and the weather is absolutely perfect today for football. We're going to throw around the political football, as we uh, often do every Sunday from 10 until noon, because we have a lot of guests that come from different backgrounds and uh, are hitting on different topics. So this is, as Joe and I like to say, the pre-pregame show and plenty of uh, things to chew on here on the Sunday buffet. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, Brenda, this is the time to be doing a political talk show. Oh, <laughs> you know. I was just saying that to somebody the other day. It, there, it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. There's so much uh, stuff going on from day to day, and whether it's the talk about the Supreme Court or the Constitution or the debate that we'll be previewing wall to wall tomorrow and Tuesday, uh, there's just uh, an embarrassment of riches from which to choose. So we look forward to talking about some of those topics today. Um, in just a moment, we'll have uh, Professor Peter Iacobucci on from Buffalo State College, my alma mater. And we'll talk about uh, the SCOTUS, uh, the pick, Amy uh, Coney Barrett, and also the death of RBG. And what, uh, what lies ahead for the Supreme Court? So what? much to get into. Joe, we could do two hours on that alone. We could. A, li a little later, uh, Dr. Julius Adams will join us. And we'll talk about a program that's being offered at UB about preparing parents for homeschooling. And then in the 11 o'clock hour, uh, uh, always political, uh, astute political analysis with Dave Leventhal, Buffalo guy who lives in D.C. and ha has his finger on the pulse of both uh, what's happening in Buffalo and also in the world of politics. And we'll wrap up with Buffalo Councilmember Joel Farrelletto, who certainly has a unique perspective on the COVID crisis as he is battling the disease himself. Yes, and let's get right into it with Buffalo State political science professor Peter Iacobucci. Uh, professor Iacobucci, good morning. 
I can hear you fine. There it is. There it ah, is. There we go. Professor, first off, tell us what the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg means to the Supreme Court. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg served for a little over a quarter century on the court. She is probably one of the most influential justices, uh, certainly on the court and certainly in culture in the last hundred years, if not the entire history of the court. Um, her primary focus on the court, as it was before she got to the court, was gender equality. And for those women that are in the audience, um, the world is better for you because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, as a woman, uh, Peter, I, I could not agree more with that assessment. But uh, it's interesting that you frame your answer that way, because I wanted to ask you about the gender equality, not only with women. I think when you hear that term, you know, we or I'll speak for myself. I think of female equality. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg did a lot for male equality, too. Is that right? Well, it starts from her marriage to her husband, Martin Ginsburg. They were a unique power political legal couple. Martin Ginsburg was the outside person. He was the one that went to the parties. He was the one that, that uh, drum up support. Um, but what was unique about Martin Ginsburg is from the moment he met Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he treated her as an equal which was not the case when she graduated from law school for most of the legal community. Women were, were subservient. But Martin Ginsburg made, right from the beginning, made it very clear that my wife is my equal, um, if not my better, and that uh, he pressed that constantly through the legal community. And he also, she also said about Marty Ginsburg that he was the only man she had met at that point in her life who valued her for her brain. And uh, to me, they are, uh, I like the term power couple, and I think that they are just a reflection and the epitome of a couple that loved each other, that treated each other well, that sustained a marriage through a cancer bouts for both of them, raised two children during that time, and had these successful careers. I remember reading about her, how he was battling testicular cancer and going to law school, and she was also in law school, and she would do a lot of work for him and help him study, and they would end up eating dinner uh, at midnight because there was so much work to be done. But they made it happen, and she certainly, um, and so did Marty, have a lot of uh, resilience and guts and just uh, an inspiration. Uh, but what I was referring to, Peter, was that she, some of her rulings also benefited men when it comes to equality. Would you agree with that? Well, I think that's right. I, I think what she tried to do is modernize the Equal Protection Clause. And, you know, that clause was put into the Constitution at the end of the Civil War to uh, give rights to freed slaves. But what she said is this clause and other parts of the Constitution, if, if you're a male or female, it doesn't matter. You get the same rights as everyone else. And what that did for males is it allowed them to operate on an equal playing field with women um, in all situations. And I think that was really that's an important point to point out. I was so struck by uh, the ceremony of her casket, you know, draped in the American flag, the first woman to lie in state um, at the Capitol and also the first uh, Jewish person. And the outpouring of support from her law clerks where they stood as both pallbearers and then honorary pallbearers, I thought, uh, was so striking. Uh, how did you feel watching the ceremony? Well, I, I felt the same way. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people that work on the Supreme Court. I know individuals within the Supreme Court. Um, whether you were a conservative or a liberal or a moderate, um, she was beloved at the court. Um, beloved. Uh, whether... 
it, it did not matter your political stripe. Um, you might disagree with her, her politically, but as an individual, as a person, um, she was absolutely adored by those at the court and then became adored by those across the United States as her fame became more famous in this century. Professors, this isn't the first time a, um, a president facing election has appointed a judge for the Supreme Court. Uh, how does that usually fare for the president that is facing the election? Well, since the 1980s, the the nominations to the court have become much more contentious and much more um, a political football. Um, the, the previous times when a president has appointed a member of the Supreme Court uh, during his election year, it was largely a, a non-issue. I mean, it, it wasn't strongly debated within the public the way this one will be. Um, and I think everything that we look at is it has to be reflected through the lens of how Merrick Garland was treated when uh, Justice Scalia passed away and then was held off for a year without a vote. And I think that is is tainting everybody. And I think for the near future, if not even the, the moderate future, every single nomination is going to be seen of what happened to Merrick Garland. When did Supreme Court nominations become so political? Has it always been like this to where it's, you know, both sides of the aisle? I mean, and we can be honest here. Republicans are hypocrites and Democrats are hypocrites. So whoever's in power is going to make the call. But when did these selections become so political? I mean, I'm only 32 and I can tell you in the early 2000s, I don't remember people being appointed to the Supreme Court being such a political uh, arena couple quick points on that. One, um, there have always been some controversies about appointments to the Supreme Court, even going back into the 19th century. Um, the, the biggest time we see these controversies develop is when an appointment of an individual is expected to flip the majority of the court. If a Republican president is appointing a justice that's replacing a Republican president appointed justice in the past, there isn't that much controversy or vice versa with a Democratic president or a Democratic appointee. Um, but when it begins to flip the power and the power structure within the court, and that's that's when it really comes out. But if you want to pick one point, it was the nomination of Robert Bork um, and, and his nomination um, and the battle against him, including the battle with Joe Biden um, against him, really flipped the switch on the court where every nomination now is a is a you know, a dogfight to get the individual onto the court. Professor Peter Iacobucci is with us. He is with uh, the Buffalo State Department of Government. And Peter, uh, I wonder, uh, a couple of quick questions here. When you teach, do you find that your students are aware of what's happening and the impact that a, a, a justice like RBG had on the court and on the world at large? Are they picking up on that, especially your female students? Um, I think, uh, one, I you know, I have a new class said my students are political science majors for the most part so they they are already geared into this um but her ruth bader ginsburg was not just a justice on the supreme court she was an icon in our culture um you, you know students are walking around with t-shirts of her um with posters up in her dorm room you know take down the rock and roll posters and put up ruth bader ginsburg so yes they, they very much um know what ruth bader ginsburg was they know what she stood for um, and, and many of my female students have reached out to me and said they are really concerned about what could happen in the future with her now off the court. Well, and one of those things uh, centers on the Aff Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as it's commonly known. And on November 10th, 
Just a week after Election Day, the Supreme Court will hear arguments on the latest challenge to uh, the Affordable Care Act. If Amy Coney Barrett is approved, and she could be on the bench at that point, right, Peter? Yes, yeah, very much so. This is not a case that has come before her. You know, she has served on the court, the level of the court right below the Supreme Court, but she was on the Seventh um, Circuit. This is not a case that came out of the Seventh Circuit. So there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to hear this case and make a ruling on this case. Well, and, they, and, and John Roberts, if I remember correctly, joined the court's liberal wing to reject those efforts to dismantle the law. Uh, how do you think this will play out now? Well, and that, that's significant because the, the, the ruling that he decided originally to uphold the um, Affordable Care Act was that the penalties applied would be a tax, not an actual regulation of the economy. Uh, uh, soon to be uh, justice, uh, justice Barrett has written in her academic writings that that ruling was a mistake. Um, so that indicates to me that she would rule the other way. That would leave Justice Roberts and the three liberals that remain on the court in the minority. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a very good chance uh, coming after November 10th when the court does decide that case that it would um, outlaw the Affordable Care Act. I think most people think about Roe v. Wade when you talk about uh, the, the court shifting. And uh, gosh, it's hard to believe it was 1973 that that decision was established that uh, women have a constitutional right to an abortion. Uh, what do you think will happen in this case? It seems everybody is predicting that that will be overturned. Well, th- those predictions have, have many times happened in the past. Back in 1992, the court heard a case, um, the Casey case, um, in which eight of the nine justices sitting on the Supreme Court at the time had been appointed by Republican presidents, and more than and five of them had publicly declared, declared that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. And yet the fundamental hold, holding of Roe, that a woman has the right to control her reproductive functions, held after Casey, much to uh, Justice Scalia's uh, uh, anger dissent. Um, so we'll see. I, I, think, I think you're going to see the court move slowly. On abortion, I don't I certainly don't think in the first or second year, you know, in the next two years, that you're going to see a case that will overturn Roe. What you will probably see is cases that are putting more and more restrictions or making it more difficult for a woman to choose an abortion. But uh, let's just let's just play if this happens, right? Let's be hypothetical down the road. Say something does happen on a federal level, states would then have the power to make rules per state, right? I mean, it's not like in New York anything would change. No, that, that's right. It wouldn't change immediately in New York, although um, the, the, there are several members of the court have, have expressed support for what are called personhood laws that uh, establish uh, uh, person rights to a um, child yet to be born. And that, of course, would make a big difference on abortion. If, if the court does go down that path, and that would be sort of the next step, then any states that do allow abortion would then find those abortion laws found unconstitutional, violation of the unborn child's uh, rights. Uh, Professor, we, we talked about uh, RBG and the impact she had, what an icon she became in the American consciousness. But Amy Coney Barrett um, is a unique uh, justice or presumed justice because here she is a mother of seven children and in her late 40s. Uh, and she clerked for the late Antonin Scalia. Uh, do you think that somehow she'll become she'll she'll have the same sort of iconic stature 
perhaps because of, of her circumstances being different than most? Uh, perhaps. Uh, she's a remarkable individual. And I would say in any other time, um, and if it, she were replacing any other justice, um, this would this is a no question. Clearly, she's qualified to be on the Supreme Court. Her her legal viewpoints, her jurisprudence is different than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But as as Joe asked earlier, you know, if, if her nomination came up 50 years ago, um, uh, the, the, this would not be a question at all. She's clearly qualified. She clearly knows what she's doing. Um, she could. Um, and I, I could see her becoming the the sort of new Scalia on the right. Um, and that's who she praises. She praised in her introduction ceremony yesterday. She praised Scalia and his jurisprudence. She could become the Scalia of the right, whereas Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, uh, you know, herself of the left. Professor, you know, it, it's football Sunday. So I have to ask, if you were a betting man, what would you put the odds that Amy Barrett gets confirmed? Oh, 99% or higher. Okay, so you don't think there'll be four seats that turn? There's, there's, there's some legislative tools that the Democrats in the Senate have. Um, they could force unanimous consent, you know, you, you know, and they could do the two-hour rule, these arcane Senate rules. But really, when it becomes push comes to shove, uh, Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, simply has to hold a vote. Um, there's, there's no requirement. There even has to be hearings of the Judiciary Committee um, although those are, you know, scheduled to start on October 12th, um, that they, they can go quickly. That no, I, I don't see much of an opportunity of the Democrats to stop her. You know, uh, you know, holding some catastrophic event happening in the next, you know, 30 days. Um, she'll be the next member of the Supreme Court. I would be pretty sure of that. 99 percent, Peter. I wish I felt that confident about the bills today. Well, well, of course we feel that confident <laughs> about the bills. Before we wrap up, I did want to ask you, there was some talk about uh, if Biden wins the election, uh, that perhaps there would be an increase in the number of members on the court, up to 15 is what I heard. Any uh, any idea if that could even happen? Oh, that certainly could happen. I, I think if uh, Joe Biden becomes president, and if the Democrats can control the House and control the majority of the Senate, which right now polls put the Senate, is, it's just a complete toss-up of who would win the Senate. Um, they simply just have to pass a law. It's not, it's not difficult to add members of the court. That's not prescribed in the Constitution. It's not limited by the Constitution. Um, and the court has, it's, it's not always been nine members. It originally was six. It has bounced around. It has settled at nine for the last hundred years, but there's no reason it has to be there. And there will be a tremendous amount of pressure if Joe Biden is elected and if the Democrats win both sides of uh, the, the Congress. Um, to do exactly that, to make an adjustment to the court and increase its size. Ironically, that argument was put forth by conservative scholars over the last 20 years after they had been repeatedly um, slightly defeated at the court five to four and those type of rulings that we just need to add a few more justices. Now those arguments are going to be used against them. It's a, it's a great example of hypocrisy. That is, if there's anything that's, that's always common in Washington, D.C., that's what it is. Boy, the, I guess the motto could be what goes around comes around in D.C., huh? P Professor Peter Iacobucci from Buffalo State College, great to have you on board. We really appreciate your unique insights, and uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Go Bills. Go Bills. That'll put a wrap on this first half hour of Hardline. Much more to come. We're here till noon, and we welcome your calls and texts at 716-803-0930. Back after that. Call from Mom. 
Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And welcome back to Hardline on this beautiful Sunday morning, the uh, the last Sunday in September, folks. Can you believe it? We were just saying the other day how fast uh, the month has gone and how slow it seemed to be going in the early stages of the pandemic back in uh, March and April. Uh, and boy, it's hard to believe that October is looming already, but I'm grateful for the good weather and uh, grateful that you're tuning in today and your calls are welcome, 803-0930. And it's the same number for our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, 716-803-0930. And it's a pleasure to welcome for the first time on Hardline, Dr. Julius Greg Adams. And he is the executive director of the Buffalo EOC. And they're starting a new program called the Strategies to Educational Preparation for Parents program. Now, that's quite a mouthful. So it's known as STEP. And STEP was uh, developed in response to concerns expressed by parents related to the need to teach their children remotely or in a hybrid setting. And Dr. Adams, great to have you on board this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little about uh, the origins of the program? What uh, what prompted you to, to set up a program like this? Well, it, it actually came from two, two ways. Um, we have students um, who are adults who have children who expressed the concern that they felt they couldn't support their their children who are learning via, as you stated, via remotely or a hybrid. And they they kind of felt, even as bright as they were, they kind of felt dumbfounded by it. And we also talked to um, some of our um, workers here, some of our staff who felt the same way. And so we have a commitment to provide services to the community. And we started thinking, how could we support parents? How could we help them as they try to help their children to succeed? And it kind of grew out of that concern to see how we could support the parents and make them not master teachers, not master tutors, but make them feel more comfortable in their ability to support their children as they as they learn. Did you find that a lot of parents or guardians would feel isolated or, or you know, simply overwhelmed by all this new responsibility? Absolutely. I, I think that parents are used to assisting, or, and guardians are used to assisting their children when it comes to homework assignments or projects. This was the first time that they had to 
to feel that they were becoming like primary teachers for their for their children. Even though the teachers in the classroom existed, um, the learning was taking place in the home. And so this was a new new role for them. It, it's that new norm that we seem to be dealing with on a daily basis during the pandemic. Isn't that the truth, Dr. Adams? Every day it feels like there's something new in this uh, this kind of surreal time that we're living in. Um, and I think that a lot of that has created a, a sense of anxiety for people and an increase in stress levels, uh, not only in our day-to-day lives, but how do you navigate this with kids? And so, you know, this is, this is one of your objectives uh, as well, as I understand it, right, regarding the ability to assist children in their academics? Absolutely. I, I think one of the first things we have to remember is that, for, I guess I should start by stating that we built this program for elementary school children, K through 8. Not, not because high school students don't need similar support. It's really based upon, unfortunately, our resources, um, but also that the needs are very different for elementary versus high school. Um, we're hoping down the road um, to build something that will assist parents and the high school students. But, but you're right. A lot of children, when they're hearing about a pandemic, may not understand what it is, may feel that there's something going to happen to them immediately, and that increases their stress levels along with their parents who's trying to figure out how can they calm them down, how can they help them understand that things may not happen immediately to them, and help them continue to, to you know, have what may look like a normal life. Uh, you mentioned about uh, you're building this program, and it's through the Buffalo EOC, and I know we're tossing out a lot of this kind of alphabet soup with STEP and Buffalo EOC. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar with it, Dr. Adams, uh, what is the, the mission of the program, and is it under the auspices of the University at Buffalo? Right. The, the Buffalo Educational Opportunity Center, or Buffalo EOC, is a po- program as part of the Buffalo um, of the University at Buffalo. Um, we are a program who supports and provides vocational and educational services for individuals who are economically and academically disadvantaged. So stereotypically, in order for me to provide services for you, you would have to be at the poverty level. Um, You would need to be a resident of New York State for the past 12 months, and you would need to have less than 33 credits. We believe that this particular program, there's such a strong need for it that we're willing to kind of tweak the guidelines for it. What I mean by that is we want to put in the program that the, the students or the, the parents and guardians that I've indicated would be eligible for it, but don't, don't exclude yourself. We will try to find a place for anybody who contacts us who indicates that they're interested. So we really want to provide this for as many people as possible. Um, it, it, it's a wonderful program. Um, the center provides vocational programming in terms of allied health, we provide programming in terms of high school equivalency, um, college prep, um, and ESL in addition to our um, vocational programming. And ESL, English as a second language. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm added to the alphabet soup. I'm sorry about that. Right, right, of course. Well, there's so many in, uh, in the world of academics, it seems. Um, and it's a, it raises a very good point, Dr. Adams. What about uh, people who have emigrated from other countries who may not have uh, the command of the language, for instance, or who don't know how to operate a, a computer. Aren't, aren't there some inherent uh, uh, concerns right off the bat just for situations like that? Absolutely. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, this particular program is an inauguration for us. So we're looking to see if there are other things we need to do. And you've actually presented one of the areas that we're going to be looking into expanding on um, because of the fact that not just immigrants, not just those individuals who are coming in 
um, uh, refugees, but also we have individuals who English is a second language who were born here, um, and what can we do to support them? So right now, for our other programming, um, we're keeping some of that programming on site. Most of our programming is remote. This program is remote, um, but right now we're, we don't have the mechanism to service those individuals that you've mentioned, but we are, the goal is to try to do that hopefully in the spring semester um, so that we can provide hopefully a bilingual instructor who might be able to assist, potentially think about offering one of those sections on site with dis um, social distancing as part of that um, equation. Dr. Adams, uh, speaking with families, speaking with students, what has been the biggest hurdle with uh, not being in school every day? And who, uh, in what grade would you say, what age has it affected the most? I would say that the, the biggest hurdle for, for the younger children is, is just the socialization. Um, the the um, lack of interaction with their friends, um, the lack of a, of a true schedule, I think, as they get older, I think is a concern about the academics. Um, and making sure that they don't feel that they're being left behind in some capacity. Um, I, I think that the, the struggle basically is that as, this, as our children have transitioned to remote to make sure that they maintain some kind of schedule um, so that they can have some expect, expected behavior. I think that that will reduce some of the, the fear and some of the concern, um, but also making sure that as a as a parent or a guardian, that, that you feel comfortable and you seek out support um, as you're dealing with the stressor. We forget about the, that the parents um, and guardians are also dealing with the stress of the pandemic, too. Now, we're talking about the STEP program, and it's uh, the idea is to provide parents with tools for better time management, test strategies, test prep, study skills. Um, is that sort of the number one priority, Doctor? I think, you know, if you don't have good time management, everything else kind of stumbles along. Uh, is that kind of the, the number one priority that you would emphasize as you start this new program? That's, that's actually, we, we've divided it up. It's a four-week program, two, two classes or workshops, if you want to call them that, per week that lasts two hours each. And the very first one is time management. Um, and understanding what time management means for children, um, that, that we're talking about making sure that, you know, things such as uh, having an appropriate bedtime, which, you know, we went from summer and, and, and having a time where, where your children are used to going to bed kind of later than normal to, to now we're in a school year and the academic year. And even though they might be learning remotely, they need to be on a schedule. We need to reduce the um, electronics or at least put it on, on a particular schedule. So the time management piece and understanding that if you have a project that's assigned to you, helping a child think about what the time is involved in completing that. So for younger children, that's going to be more hands-on than for maybe a seventh or eighth grader. Um, but then moving from that to just understanding the importance of comprehension, understanding the importance of reading and, and, and reading for meaning, um, and, and helping your child understand that reading almost anything within reason is appropriate. That sometimes we get so caught up on just you must read a book that we forget that reading a magazine, reading a comic book, can be very important too, and may lead to eventually leading, uh, reading a book if a child has, doesn't have that interest yet. And so we just, we're just, the topics that we're dealing with are understanding, well, this one is the one that I, parents want to hear about, but I give them some caution, understanding Common Core Math. Um, and what I mean by that is that Common Core Math has been a real struggle for a lot of both children and parents. 
Um, and we're not going to be teaching you Common Core math because that's more involved, but we want to teach you what the standard is. We want to give you some examples of some Common Core math problems. The more important thing is to understand when I was a child in the Stone Age is that when you talk about math, you were talking about facility with numbers primarily. Nowadays, when you talk about a standard related to math, you're talking about literacy. You have to read the problem, so you have to understand what you're reading before you can even get to understanding how you work with the numbers. Uh, I've heard from so many people, you know, who who are well educated, you know, have advanced degrees and are totally baffled by the new math. <laughs> you must hear that all the time. I, I would be one of them. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how's your time management? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that you bring up about time management because uh, people who listen to the show know that Joe is back at the station. Uh, at our, our corporate headquarters, uh, and I'm here at home working for my kitchen table, essentially, and it's been like this for several months now, and so time is very different. You know, when you get up and your commute is 10 seconds versus maybe 20 minutes, it's different, and work is always in front of us because, you know, the computer's right there in your home. Um, are you finding that parents are having trouble with time management too, Dr. Adams? I, I think it's the time management, but it's also the boundaries issue. Right. Um, the, the fact that when you go to work, then you leave, you go home. But when you're at home and you're finished with work, you're still at home. And sometimes the boundaries bleed. And I think that making sure that if you have the capability to set aside a space for your child to do their work, their homework or their schoolwork, then do that. If, it's, if there's limited space in your home and all you have, for example, is a kitchen table, then clear off the kitchen table during the time that the child is supposed to be doing their, their homework or their schoolwork, as opposed to having just a part of the table for that, so that they understand that this is it for them. And, and, and if they can set aside the space and set aside the time, it increases the likelihood that they'll be successful. Yeah, you know, I can't imagine as someone who never had good study skills in high school um, or time management skills, I can't imagine what that would do to a child now going from, you know, being in school and having time in school to study, like a study hall, and having the classes to then being able to make those decisions on your own. I mean, I, at 17, still wasn't really great at study skills and time management. How, how do you find is the most productive way or the, the way with the most success, success to get a student who might have already been struggling with study skills uh, to get on the right path even though they don't have the physical building to go to? I think a parent has to, to realize that their role is very different now. Um, that they are a parent, they are the breadwinner, they are the caretaker, they've always assisted, or, or maybe they haven't, but they've always assisted with their children with their academics. But now they have to really take on a role as making sure that when their child is at home, that they are actually on task and doing their homework. So it really requires them to be very flexible. It requires them to be very patient. Um, and I think that if they take that, that mantra, that again, this is a new norm, that I have to help guide my child. I have to provide support. I understand that um, in, in school, they were in school from, let's say, 8.30 until 3, but there were breaks during the day. So you can't assume that your child is going to sit there for two hours and three hours nonstop. You need to build in breaks. You need to build in times away from. And, and, and you need to be aware that maybe today you have to kind of 
adjust the schedule, maybe get off the schedule for the day, but not completely and not totally, you know, for several days, just so you can make sure that you're supporting your child and making sure that they, they understand that they, they're getting support and that you're tolerant of the fact that it's a new day. Dr. Adams, I'd like your opinion on this. I heard someone talking about this, I think it was last week, uh, where, where kids that are doing all virtual, they think the best way to handle it is to do a four-day school week in a three-day weekend. Do you think that's an efficient way um, maybe to tackle this virtual learning, this new norm? I think it's hard for me to answer that question. I think that there's so many variables involved in that, and some of the variables include how does your child learn? Every child learns differently. Um, what type of support system is in place. Um, if you've noticed, when we talk about remote, when we talk about hybrid, um, a lot of times we're talking about children who are more than likely in public school environments, that a lot of the private schools in this area still have, depending upon the school, obviously, um, are still in person. Um, and so I think we have to look at what, what we can do to, to work with the child. I would hate to state that you know, it's one way or another without having more understanding of what the expectations would be for that child. But I think that whatever we do, we need to be consistent. We need to be flexible. We need to not change the rules on them as they go along. Um, we need to just make sure that children understand that whatever, is, whatever they need, we can try to provide for them. Um, and there are many ways to do it both online I'm always telling people that despite everything that's going on, if there's some concern about their academics, the first person they should be reaching out to is the child's teacher. If for some reason they feel that the teacher is not assisting, which is very rare, but that may be the case, they should reach out to the principal. If the principal is not supportive or they don't feel they're getting an answer, they should reach out to the superintendent. But they should always, even when we do the STEP program, we're going to end that program with hopefully a toolkit that individuals will get. And as part of building the toolkit, we've gone on a lot of the school district's um, web pages. Some of those web pages are phenomenal and some I could not navigate. <laughs> so I think it just depends. And I think that a parent has to realize that they're not, you know, schools are not abdicating their responsibility. They will gladly talk to them and they will gladly support them. Dr. Adams, the, your programs are tuition-free, is that right? Absolutely. Well, that's a nice perk. But, and, and I'm curious, though, how are you funded? Where, where does your funding come from for uh, all of these uh, wonderful opportunities you're giving folks who are not paying any tuition? Our funding comes from, from the state. So we get our funding directly from the governor's office, from the state legislatures. The local politicians support us, make sure that we're put back in the, the budget. But that being said, we are also victims of the budget crisis in New York State. Um, so we will be suffering, like everybody else, to upwards to 20% cut. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, I can't just have a program that's for both elementary and high school at this moment. The STEP program begins October 12th, runs through November 4th. And Dr. Adams, it's uh, only on Mondays and Wednesdays in the evening from 6 to 8. And I, I imagine it's no coincidence that you did it in the evening. You set it up that way. Absolutely. Number one, we didn't want our parents to be in competition with their children for Wi-Fi, um, because one of the things that we have heard about is that with the increased use, um, Wi-Fi has become slower. Um, some of our parents um, have difficulty um, simply because they could not afford the, the Wi-Fi itself in terms of their packages that 
um, they bought did not assume that there was going to be such an increase. Um, and it's remote for the same reason. Um, so our, our hope is that 6 to 8 p.m. will accommodate a number of, of uh, parents and guardians, that they will be very interested. Um, and we're also evaluating this. So if we determine that we need to do it earlier, we'll do it earlier. Um, if we need more than two days a week, and we try to keep it two days not to overwhelm parents, um, we'll look into that. Um, and again, while we, we, we're looking for people to meet our eligibility criteria, please don't self-edit. Please don't say, well, I'm not at the eligibility criteria. Um, I'm not going to call them. Please call us. Please see. We will try to see if we can accommodate you. What number would they call? They would call 645-1900. That is our admissions office. Um, and they can go on our website, which is buffalo.edu slash EOC. Um, and on the website, it talks about the STEP program. Um, and, and if they don't, as you say, it is a mouthful, the um, strategies to educational preparation for parents. Um, if you don't remember that, just remember STEP. STEP, and uh, it's a good acronym because I think you're helping parents and students uh, go up to the next level. So we wish you well in this endeavor. Again, it runs from October 12th through November 4th. And you did mention that you'll probably have a spring session as well, correct? Absolutely. Our, our goal is to try, we're trying to um, have two sections, sessions, I apologize, um, in the fall. So we're hoping to have one after um, the November 4th date. Um, and we're looking to have at least one or two sessions in the spring. Dr. Julius Greg Adams, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. We appreciate your support. We'll be back with another hour of packed conversation. Dave Leventhal, Joel Farrelletto among our guests. Much more to come on Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.